So the Christians that James is writing to are having some problems. There are trials being faced, some are catering to the rich at the expense of the poor, and a general lack of good works. The question is, whose wisdom and instruction are they following? This section flows from the end of James chapter 3, which pits the wisdom above against the wisdom that comes from below. The wisdom from above results in peace, while the wisdom from below is characterized by jealousy and selfish ambition. And that was the wisdom that James' audience appeared to be following. James gets right to the heart of the matter in verse 1. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires, that battle within you? There is always a battle of desires happening in every heart, to do either the will of God or of the body. And when we start siding with the ungodly passions that we have, our brothers and sisters in Christ are often going to become the casualties. Back in chapter 1, verses 1-18, through 18, the main idea was enduring the trials being faced by these Christians. And in chapters 3, 6-7, through 7, we see that it was the rich who were the ones oppressing them, dragging these poor Christians to court and blaspheming against them and our God. But being rich is no guaranteed indicator of a person standing before God. But the typical teaching of scripture is that the rich are also in a dangerous spot. But James in particular has nothing good to say about the rich. He wants us to remember that they're going to fade away in their pursuits, that they have nothing to look forward to but their humiliation, and that they are enemies of God and his church. But surprisingly, the poor Christians that James is writing to have the mindset of the rich. Their passions are leading to fights within the community. They honor the rich over the poor in James chapter 2. And they only want things for their own selfish pleasures and are motivated by jealousy and ambition. Greed is not the exclusive sin of the rich. Instead of uniting in brotherhood to weather the storm, the Christians were fighting against themselves and more frighteningly against God. He says in verse 4, You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. A half-hearted devotion to God is no devotion at all. We can't be friends with the world and God at the same time. They're enemies. They crucified his son on the cross and persecute his people. Would you stay friends with someone who was close to your child's murderer? In verse 5, we're told that God is jealous of our loyalty to him. We're not seeing a direct quote from any specific Old Testament passage, but a major theme found throughout. God has made us, and he wants to be with us. It's why he put Adam and Eve in the garden. It's why he had the tabernacle and the temple built at all. It's why he sent his son. God has always wanted to be among his people and has been working to be our exclusive God. Bowing to our passions is no different than bowing to an idol. When we do, we're telling God that he isn't enough, that satisfaction needs to be found somewhere else, and that these things are more important than him, that his sacrifice on the cross wasn't good enough. The antidote to all of this fighting and the proper response to God's jealousy is in verse 6, where it says that he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. That's a quotation from Proverbs 3.34. It's part of a longer poem that begins in Proverbs 3.21. And it's all about wise living within a community and how to have peace among your neighbors. It includes wisdom such as giving generously to others when it's within your power to do so, not planning evil against your neighbor, and not being envious of violent men. All of these virtues are good advice in and of themselves, but Proverbs is mostly concerned with being a kind neighbor 
because of the common father we all share. Follow these rules, Proverbs says, because in verse 32, the devious person is an abomination to the Lord, but the upright are in his confidence. The Lord's curse is on the house of the wicked, but he blesses the dwelling of the righteous. Toward the scorners he is scornful, but to the humble he gives favor. We can follow the wisdom of the world and believe that we're entitled to more than we have, and that others should just suffer for our well-being. Or, we can follow God. Remember that our comfort should never come at the cost of our brother in Christ, and to be satisfied with what God has provided, knowing that anything we get from him is far more than we deserve. So again, in James chapter 4, verse 7, we're told to submit ourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. James wants us to stop giving into temptation and instead resist them, because you can make the devil run away. Instead of chasing after your desires, draw near to God, and you'll see him running towards you. Cleanse your hands and your hearts and determine to be with God exclusively. Get over yourself and the accomplishments you think that you've earned and deserve and let God be the one who lifts you up. As we lift ourselves up, we inevitably put others down. And the audience that James writes to was no exception. Verses 11 and 12 indicate that slander and speaking evil of one another was a common sin. What puzzles us, though, at the first reading is that James considers speaking out against a brother as speaking and judging the law itself. The logic is that if we don't obey the law of God, then we're implicitly judging the law as unworthy of our respect and obedience. However high our view of scripture is, whenever we don't do it, we're saying that something else is worth doing more. Another concern of James concerning slander and judging our brother is found in verse 12. It's the exclusive right of God to judge, and he will be the one responsible for saving or destroying. James isn't speaking of the judgment that declares some actions sinful and others righteous. James himself is doing that right now. James is thinking of judging in terms of determining the ultimate spiritual destiny of our brothers, something we have no right to. It's a judgment that comes from fighting and quarreling. It's the judgment that started the problem in our chapter. We'll save verses 13 through 17 from Monday's reading on James chapter 5. But until then, who's winning the battle of your desires? Are we finding ourselves in a constant state of conflict with our brothers and sisters in Christ? If we are, then we're letting the world win. On the last day, God's going to be the victor, and we need to do everything we can to make sure that we're on his side. <laughs>